Welcome, welcome to those who are here. Maybe I can see people kind of trickling back in from uh, since school holidays and school's back and uh, parents are excited about that. And uh, we've got a, a great carnival coming up this Friday night. I think we're going to share about that maybe a little bit later on. But I'd like to pray as we get underway with a brand new series. Is that okay? Let me pray. Father, it's been our joy and our absolute delight to bring you this morning our praise and our worship. As we embark on this next eight weeks together in this new series, would you help us to see what you see? As we open your word, I pray that it would be a fresh and living word to each and every one of us. May it be your voice that we hear amongst everything else. And Father, we pray. In fact, we invite you to nudge us, to convict us, to draw us closer to you. And may we find a fresh sense of connection to you. Help us to know, we pray, what it is that you want. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for your mercy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen. Well, um, uh, if we've got the first slide, if we can put the first slide up. It says this. <clears throat> Love one another. If you've got your smartphones or Bibles or notepads, feel free to take those out and uh, open up the Bible app, new version it's called. And uh, if not, if everything's going to be on the screen for us here this morning. Who said that? Jesus said, love one another, or in a roundabout kind of way. And uh, another, let's go to the next slide, because it says this. Uh, Somebody said this, it wasn't Jesus, but what is simple often isn't easy. Do you want to just go back to the first slide, please? Are we there? We go back to the first slide, is that okay? There we go. (laughs) I want to ask you now, how are you going with this? (laughs) What is simple often isn't easy. How are you going with this? How do you think our world is going with loving one another? (laughs) It was, in fact, a lawyer. It was a lawyer in Matthew chapter 22, or Mark 12, the Gospels. It was a lawyer who challenged Jesus with the question, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he was looking for a plan, the lawyer, but Jesus drew him to his purpose. And in one breath, he asked the question, well, what is the greatest commandment? One breath, Jesus said to love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus saw that loving God and his neighbor as one in separate mandate, they were tied for first. When he talks about neighbors, he's not overly specific about being a neighbor, maybe because we would start drawing conclusions that that kind of group of people we don't actually have to love, we can put them to the side. (laughs) But neighbor, what he's referring to here is that, in fact, your neighbor, to love God and to love your neighbor is, in fact, everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. These are our neighbors who are stacking shelves. Our neighbors are those who are filling petrol tanks. Our neighbors are those who are attending council meetings. Our neighbors are those who are looking for jobs. Our neighbors are those who are playing sport. Our neighbors are those who are prisoners, pilots, or even pastors. This series is entitled, 
everybody, always. Becoming love in a world of setbacks and difficult people. And our aim, our big idea, this next eight weeks as we embark in this, is this. Is to promote the central teaching of Jesus Christ. And that is to specifically focus on loving our neighbor. To love our neighbor. You see, Jesus invites us to love everybody always. The people that we don't look like. The people that we don't vote like, (laughs) the people who uh, don't necessarily act the same way, the people that we don't necessarily agree with. You see, it's easy to love those who are kind. It's easy to love those who are lovely. It's easy to love those who are humble because I've spent most, most of my life, in fact, much of my life, loving these kind of people. And loving the people who are easy to love made me feel like that I was really good at this. But you see, what happens if you're anything like me? We, t- we tend to avoid those difficult people. We tend to avoid those that we don't understand. And Jesus, in fact, spent his whole life engaging these kind of people, drawing these kind of people unto himself. And so because of that, these next eight weeks, we're going to look at subjects, everybody always. We're going to look at loving everybody always. We're going to look at serving everybody always, blessing everybody always, presenting Christ to everybody always, forgiving everybody always, inspiring everybody always, and welcoming everybody always. Always. And so, as we look at the Gospels, as we look at the life of Jesus, when we talk about this subject, everybody always, we look at Jesus and how does he turn those who are against him, often the religious leaders of the day, how does he turn his enemies into his friends? How does he earn their respect? Is it by money? No. Is it by waving a finger? I don't think so. Is it by fear, guilt, or shame? In fact, none of those things. If you think about how he drew his enemies into that sense of being his friendship, it was in fact the power of love. He allowed the power of his love, the power of the Father's love to do the talking, often with truth, with grace, yeah? Truth and grace, and we have the opportunity, and I believe he invites us into that each and every day. And so... As a way of introducing this particular series, because of all that's going on in our fragile and uncertain world and all that is yet to go on, we're going to come back. We're going to come back to what it means to live out the teachings of Jesus, because he invites us to love, to honor, to celebrate, to encourage, and to welcome everybody, always. This series' aim is to bring us back to the core of the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, God's idea isn't that we would just give and receive love. You see, God's idea about love is that we would actually become love. Well, what does that actually mean? It's a good question. Thank you for your questions this morning. What does it take? 
What does it take to love everybody always? I think that's an answer. That answer is, in fact, going to require just a, a few conversations that will go beyond um, this next couple of months. But whatever it is, whatever it is, I hope and pray that this next couple of months, it's sure to make our city an even greater place to live as we go about those, con- those conversations amongst our families, around the meal table, and in our connect groups as we've launched here today. Because Jesus said never, these things were never going to be easy to do. But he actually said that they would work. What I mean by that is, well, come with me on a little bit of a journey if you could, because I believe that this series will, will reveal to us just how we can go about that. Is that okay? Are we all hearing me this morning? Everyone's Okay. Fantastic. Let's get started because today I want to talk about what I think is one of the most abandoned words in our culture. And I believe this word has to be redeemed. Now, before I give you this word and my subject here this morning, there's a little story that goes behind this particular word. Is that okay? Because ever since people have walked this earth where cities were started, where communities were built, where there were empires and rulers, ever since people walked this earth, there was, wait for it, please excuse my drawings this morning, but before, wait, wait, there was this, there was this line. Is that a pretty good line? I promise you this morning I will not be drawing any stick men. And uh, we'll see what happens here. So, there was this line. And different leaders and officials began to say that there is a line in which a standard, uh, well, if you like, a code of conduct. And if you believe and behave, if you believe and behave, guess what? You can belong. And it was here that cultures came up with this word that I'd like to talk about this morning. And it's the word honor. I think that's how you spell it, right? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) To honor. To honor everybody always. That's my topic here this morning. As we think about this word, maybe a couple of things come to mind for you. The first thing that I could think about was, believe it or not, a wedding. Now, it's kind of good to be invited to be a bridesmaid, but what an honor it is to be a maid of honor. A maid of honor, I guess, is a bit like the best man, yeah? It's kind of that first person that you choose to be a maid of honor. So we go from that of of a wedding, I could think of a war. Sometimes people go into war to protect us, and they come back with a medal of honor. People wear badges of honor. What is it that you think of when you think of this word, honor, everybody, always? Now, if you're a 1980s movie buff like me, come on, you might remember this. We might leave it at that. We might leave it at that. Who remembers that movie? What movie was it? Karate Kid 2. Very good. I will be a man who will fight for your honor. A wedding, a war, and a 1980s movie. And so we believe 
we behave and we want to be that person who can be honorable. Uh, hang in there with me because there's a flip side to this. It's a flip side and it goes like this. That what happens if we don't believe the same things and we don't behave up to this particular line? We're not considered honorable anymore. Rather, it can evoke feelings of shame. Shame, which is kind of like below the line. And this is what is created in our culture, this idea of honor and of shame. But the truth is, every one of us has a line. And today, I'm going to call this, I'm going to call this, in fact, it's probably not going to be up there, isn't it? Let's put it up there. I'm going to call this a worldview. Each of us have a worldview. What's a worldview? It's this. It's a perspective which you have based on what you believe to be true and what is right. What I mean by that is about true and right about your experiences, how you were raised in your family, the places in which you've visited, um, where you, maybe you've traveled to, the values you were taught as a child, and how you value, value money and culture and things like that. And so all that kind of stuff kind of gets blended in together and makes up this line called your worldview. And guess what? Each and every one of us have this idea of a worldview. But here's the tricky part. Some of us have a worldview, excuse my drawings here for a moment. Some of us have a worldview above this line. Some of us have a worldview over here. Some of us have a worldview here, here. And depending which football team you support, you have a worldview down there. But I won't go into names because I get into trouble. <laughs> so if all these lines are different, how do we engage without tip, you know, stepping on each other's toes? How do we do life and how do we do community together? Because if all of our lives are different, this speaks, I think, into the culture in which you and I live. Different worldviews, different perspectives, different thoughts, different ideas of how things should actually be. Are we following? Is this okay? Good. Because when we find somebody um, saying something maybe at work or at school or on social media or even in church, all of a sudden, triggers go off in us and we feel a little bit threatened and we may become a little defensive because if, if it doesn't agree with my worldview... What I see and knows to be true and what is right, we can either respond one of two ways. Do you remember our two words? We can either respond with honor or we can respond out of shame. One of these two things. Once again, let's go back to the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus himself. Jesus, as he spoke to the woman caught in adultery, Jesus, this woman was thrown before her. They wanted to stone her. They were going to stone her. And they questioned, why aren't you going to stone her, Jesus? 
the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman, let alone being a Samaritan. This is a Samaritan woman. Jesus was speaking to a Samaritan woman. How dare you, Jesus? You're hanging out with tax collectors. You're going to have a meal with sinners. And so people with different worldviews were asking, who are you? And of course, with the response that Jesus so brilliantly, brilliantly would bring and to give would be about grace. It would be about peace and that opportunity to talk about God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. And Jesus himself would be often misunderstood by other people's world views. And he's inviting us to walk that same line. That's why I've entitled this series, Everybody Always. And this is, get, this is where it gets a little bit tricky, isn't it? Because each and every one of us, every day of our lives, um, uh, our worldviews, each and every day, are tested. And so once again, we can re either respond with honor or we respond out of shame. Now the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 12, he speaks into this, and this is really cool. Uh, he's talking to the first church and they're, they're going through so much themselves with political upheaval and things like that. And he says in verse 10 of Romans chapter 12, he says this. Have we got that on the screen, please? There we go. He says to outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. You know the first thing I see about this is that first word. It's kind of like it's a bit competitive, isn't it? I don't mind a bit of competition. And so it's a bit of a challenge to the church here to outdo the other church. It's kind of like the person sitting next to us in our row. I'm going to outdo you in showing honor. Because I'm not going to play that game where I'm triggered and I feel a bit threatened for my worldview. Because I'm going to be someone who fights for your honor and who shows honor. As we go back in history throughout the Bible, the Old Testament, right through the New Testament, the word honor is brought up, isn't it? To honor your mother and your father. It's a tough one. Um, another place that would, um, uh, which talks about is honor, honor those who lead you. I like that one. I like that. Those who govern, those who govern over you, to honor them. One Peter, Peter himself says in chapter 2, verse 17, he says, to honor who? Does it say there? To honor what? Everyone. To honor everyone. A question, if we just press pause there for a moment, is this. Is there anyone in your life right now that you are struggling to honor? Remember, it's simple, but it's not easy. We're doing life with people who have different worldviews and different perspectives, and it's certainly not an excuse, by the way, to be dishonorable. But can we be people, as Paul invites the church to be? to be people who outdo one another in showing honor. For the remainder of our time together, we're going to flip a few pages in the Bible and go to the book of James. James chapter 3, I'm going to read because I love the wording of the paraphrase 
from the message paraphrase, and it says this. Um, but before I go there, because what James brings up t- uh, to us here is that he reminds us that we're going to need um, what we're going to need if we're going to be the kind of people who can bring about honor and not shame. That we can add to the conversation, not distract and not to take away. So James chapter 3, verse 17, in the message paraphrase, it says this. It says, got that on the screen? It says, real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life. Stop. <laughs> There's so much just in that. Real wisdom. No, no, no. We're talking about God's wisdom, he says. Real wisdoms, God's wisdom. What does it start with? It begins with a holy life. We'll come back to that just in a moment. He goes on and he says, and, and it's characterized by getting along with who? With others. It is what? What is it? It's gentle and reasonable. It's overflowing with what? Mercy and blessing. Say this with me. Not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. We'll come back to that in a moment. You can develop a healthy, robust community, James says, that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work in getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and, oh, there's that word. There's that word. Everybody always. Honor. Real wisdom. God's wisdom is not just about being right. It's about what? It's about orienting our lives around this idea of a holy life, of holiness. And I know that's a big word, isn't it? What does it mean? It means to be set apart. To be set apart for what? It means to be set apart for God's mission in life. And that's what James is encouraging us to do and to be and to, to really think about this, this, this devotion to God in every circumstance of our lives. But it's also working towards getting along with others, with every person, including those with different worldviews. And so let's let's talk about the tension here just for a moment. Let's talk about the five ingredients, if we could, that James draws out in this passage that in any situation, we can outdo one another in honour. James 3, 17, real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is, first of all, it is what? It is gentle and reasonable. It's gentle and reasonable. That's what a holy life of honoring others is about, James is saying. So whenever we're triggered, whenever those kind of things, and we start to get our back up and we get a little bit defensive, we, we want to react, we've got to remember this this morning is James is saying that a life of honor is gentle. It's reasonable. And gee, it's hard to reason with an unreasonable person. You see, anytime I see someone on the news and I watch the news, I read the examiner every now and then and on social media, and I see that sense of reaction. You know what I'm seeing? Is I'm actually seeing that their worldview is being threatened. And because their worldview is being threatened, what happens? They lash out. They're not gentle. They're not reasonable. They become unreasonable. And it's not honorable. But here's what honor does. Here's what it does. Honor recognizes that every one of us is under construction. 
None of us have arrived. It's not nice to think, is it? It's not nice to think that you could be one of those people. You could be a little unreasonable. But sometimes we have to point the finger back this way, don't we? Don't we? Sometimes we are seen in that way. Um, and so where I've kind of come up with this idea is Billy Graham. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, passed away in 2007, and she had this on her headstone. Can we have a look at the headstone first? Check this out. I realize you may not be able to read that. I've got another slide just in a moment. But this is Ruth Bell Graham was her name, 1920 to 2007. You can't actually see that, but at the bottom of her headstone, go to the next slide if we could, please. It says this. <laughs> this is Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham. She had, end of construction, thanks for your patience. Or are you just perfect? <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing if each and every one of us lived like that? End of construction. That we're under construction. You see, sometimes the best way to add honor is to step away from the mobile phone. It's to step away from the computer. It's to step away from the conversation. It's to turn off the news. Maybe, maybe the best way to add honor is to simply pray that, God, would you grant me a gentle spirit in this conversation and allow me to remember that this person or this group of people are still, like myself, under construction. Second ingredient, that's the first thing. Honor is gentle and reasonable. The second thing, um, James says, that honor is overflowing with, do you remember the word? It's with mercy, overflowing with mercy. And I love this word. What does the word mercy mean? It's part of our three goals, our 2020 vision to grow hope, invitations, and mercy. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness, and it's undeserved kindness. That's what mercy is. It's expensive, Mercy is expensive and it's heavy. There's a weight to it. I don't want to explain what I just said. I'm going to come back and explain that just in a moment as we go into a time of communion. But just before we do, mercy takes me back. It takes me back to the beginning. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, where God created. When man and woman were in the garden and they were tempted by this, Scripture says, this crafty serpent, because they wanted to take, they wanted to be God, and I'm sure you've never wanted to be God. They wanted to be God. And so they took and they ate of the fruit, and they realized that they, uh, they were naked, and the woman said, how, how uncool, we are naked, and the man says, this is cool, you are naked. And so shame, the Bible says shame. Where were we? Shame, all of a sudden, in their nakedness, came over them. They're in shame and mercy. Mercy, God's mercy, out of his goodness, out of his kindness, out of his love. Throughout history, he would send his one and only son to what? To cover the shame. Jesus, Jesus, you remember those couple of stories? Jesus with the, with the lady caught in adultery. Why Jesus wasn't throwing any stones? Because he didn't come to throw stones. He came to cover, with, cover the shame. He came to cover the shame in her life. Honor and shame. You see, people who overflow with mercy have the eyes to see 
that people are under construction. They see the beauty, not the behavior. What do you see first? Are there people that you avoid? Yes, I want to say that very clearly. There are people in life that you avoid. Unsafe people, toxic people, and evil people. And I believe God's given us the discernment to figure that out. I got to discuss that in a connect group. <laughs> Third thing, I've got to keep moving. I've got, got, got to keep moving. Third ingredient is to honor. Honor is overflowing with mercy, but it's also overflowing with blessings. When somebody gets promotion, bless you. When somebody gets that pay rise, bless you. It's overflowing. It's living out of that blessing in which you've been poured upon his grace and his mercy. When somebody does well at school, congratulations. When somebody gets a new car, gets a new house, gets in, et cetera, et cetera. You see, people who can respond and not react do so because they understand the many blessings that God has given to them and their worldview is filled with gratitude. Their worldview is filled with humility. You see, a worldview that is filled and driven by shame, often at the core, is pride. And humility says, help me, and constantly point others to your goodness. Mercy and blessings. The fourth ingredient Paul talks about is people who have honor are not hot one day and cold the next. Interesting illustration, isn't it? But these are the kind of people who don't necessarily react and they don't give that cold shoulder and there's not that sense of weirdness that goes on and we're not tippy-toeing about certain chaos that's come up. But honor does not do that. So my question for you in this particular point this morning is this. Is there a steadiness to your faith and behavior? Or are you, what James is describing, hot one day and cold the next? Is there a dependence in your life and a trust that people discern and sense that that sense of honor is in your life? Fifth and final ingredient as we go into a time of communion this morning is this, that it's, James says that it's not two-faced. It's not two-faced. What's two-faced? Two-faced, it says one thing here and whispers behind their back when no one is looking over here. You see, two-faced are people who are not wanting relationship. They're wanting control. And control and those kind of people, it's often out of insecurity and it's out of things that's being dealt to them and so they're dealing it out as well. They're wanting to tear people down. And James says this, is, this has got to stop. And the reason James says this is because this is the kind of behavior that's actually happening out in the world. And this behavior we can't afford to happen in the church. In fact, he would say that this is in fact dishonorable behavior. He says this, but check this out. He says this in verse 18. He says, you can develop a healthy, robust, this is the hope, this is, this is hope here, that robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if, only if you do the hard work. It's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with what? Dignity and with honor. You see, we can have this. We can have this healthy, strong, flourishing community that lives right by God and enjoys the good fruit only if, James says, only if, if you do the hard work of getting along, treating each other with what? Dignity and with honor, he says, only 
if. You see, every time that our worldview is threatened, we have a choice to do one of two things. We could either honor or we could bring about shame. What's your response to this this morning? Because my response, because I believe that God has called us to be a community that will outdo one another in showing honor. And it takes each of us as individuals to play our part in this. And guess what? If we do this, if we go about doing this, I, I am totally convinced that something even greater is just around the corner. Something greater is going to happen. Why? Because our culture is desperate to see this happen. Amen? It's desperate to see this happen. And here's what I believe. That God isn't overly dazzled when we go across the ocean. But he's more than delighted when we go across the street or we go across the cubicle or we go across the seats. Because it might mean, as we go about honoring everybody always, it might mean withdrawing that comment or sharing in truth and grace, not shutting down but leaning in and seeing that conversation remaining alive. But I believe we can do this only we can do this in God's strength. Why? First of all, we need to set the example. We need to set the tone, but we also need to be a picture of what it means to bring about honor. Overflowing with mercy and with blessings. Five ingredients. James says that this is what holiness and honor looks like. This is what's going to allow us to get along together in community, creating a sense of belonging where everybody always is honored and accepted. Game on to outdo one another in showing honor. And may dignity and honor drive each, us, each of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pray for us as we come around a meal. And this is not a big meal. And it's not about that. And as I pray, I want to ask you those couple of questions. All heads are bowed and all eyes are closed as we respond to the word of God this morning, what James has taught us, what Paul is teaching us, and the life of Jesus shines bright for us to see. Can I ask you that question again? Because in Scripture, it encourages us to do a heart check as we come into communion. Who is it you are struggling to honor? Yeah, but they don't deserve it. No, well, either do you, in fact. None of us deserve. Because mercy tells me that it's undeserved. And as we come around the the meal of communion, we're reminded once again, Jesus says, remember me. Why does he say that? I think he says, remember me, because there's a huge cost involved here. And love is not love until it becomes action. And so who are you, str starting, who are you struggling to honor? Will you turn love into action today, tomorrow? Will you make that phone call? Will you do that text? Will you have that coffee? 
if we are going to commit ourselves to this next couple of months, everybody always, this is only day one. I've been wrestling this with, with this particular subject for six months. You see, there's a weight to communion. There's a weight to mercy. And the weight is this, and it's found in John 3.16. For God so loved, he withdrew his son. No, no, no. For God so loved the world he gave, he put his love into action. What do you need to act upon this next five days? Because in this moment, we remember that mercy cost. It was very expensive. And there's a weight to it. See, I don't think Jesus wants us to merely agree with him when he says to love one another. He wants us to do what he said. Agreeing is the cheap option. Obeying is the costly option because it's uncomfortable. And only action becomes love. So go and find someone you've been avoiding. Put it into action. But as you think about that, as we process that, we're going to share this meal together. It's undeserved. But for God so loved, he gave. We haven't earned any of this. We don't deserve it. And as we take this bread, as we take this meal this morning, what we're reminded of is the body of Jesus himself that was broken and beaten. So we could walk in healing, we could walk in wholeness, and we could walk in his mercy. That's what we take the bread for. We remember it was broken for those things. We take the cup of, this, of, of juice in a moment. And it reminds us that Jesus shed his blood for us so we don't have to walk in fear, that we don't have to walk in shame, that he came to cover that shame, that we could walk no longer in condemnation, that we could walk confidently in forgiveness and mercy and calling and life. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for these few moments that we can stop, that we can remember your kindness. And when Jesus said, remember me, he's saying, please don't ever lose sight of the mercy that you have received. Thankful in Jesus' name. Invite the team to come now and to serve us and to spend these few moments to remember spe specifically his body, his blood, and his mercy. And just in a moment, I'm going to invite the team to sing kind of like a, a theme song over us that says everything about this series we're about, we are, have embarked on and more. Enjoy this meal together.